Well, hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 29 of the Memoirs of a Movie Stand-In Podcast. My name is Greg Anderson, and I'm going to talk about how movies are made and some memories I have of working on film crews, oh, back in the day. See, as a stand-in, your task is to watch what the actors do in rehearsals and then be prepared to stand or sit or walk or just be in the same places where the actors were during their rehearsal so that the lighting and camera people can uh, get all their equipment set based on your positions as a stand-in. And then once you're all ready to go, by then the actors will also be ready because while the stand-in is working with the, uh, with the camera crew, the actors may be off changing their wardrobe, getting their hair and makeup done, whatever they need to do to prepare uh, for, for the scene. So it turns into a very efficient way to work. And so I was a stand-in, and as a stand-in, I think I had a great opportunity to watch how movies are made. Now, if you're the kind of person that likes to watch behind-the-scenes stuff on your DVDs, some of that supplemental material, well, being a stand-in, this is a great way to just watch that every day. So if you're interested in how movies are made every day, well, then uh, stand-in might be a good job for you. For me, it was a great alternative to graduate school because you can study in school how movies are made, but uh, nothing beats actually going out there and working on a crew in whatever capacity. As a stand-in, I got to be in the middle of everything, so I got to learn an awful lot. And I also got to uh, become acquainted with and even friends with um, people from every department that works on the set. So whatever I wanted to know about the electrician's work, uh, it was easy for me to just ask, (laughs) especially, you know, during lunch hour, you know, when it was convenient to ask. Uh, These were buddies of mine, so I could learn all about what they were doing um you know the grips the uh camera guys especially the sound guys i was interested in all of those things and so uh, whenever i got the chance i could always ask those guys questions and and learn about what they were doing so but and ultimately i still enjoyed just being a stand-in so i did that for years and years whereas a lot of people would have kind of tried to move on and go from being a stand-in to being something else. You know, maybe work in the camera department or work as a grip or, you know, things like that. I enjoyed being a stand-in and so I did it for a long, long time. Now, in the chronology of my doing these podcasts, I've been talking about my work on a television program called Promised Land. This was a Touch by an Angel spin-off show starring Gerald McCraney as Russell Green who traveled around America in a Chevy Suburban towing an Airstream trailer with his family they went around helping people along the way and showing their their faith in not only a divine being but also in America and so that's kind of what the show was about in this particular episode say I've been telling these stories in in order of when I worked on particular episodes of promised land and and so right now, it's time for me to talk about episode 21 of the first season, which was officially designated episode 121. And um, this was a show called Cowboy Blues. And in this particular episode, the Green family, you know, they've been traveling around the western U.S. And um, they, they're, they're going through Mesquite, 
I don't think they really specifically said this was supposed to be Mesquite, Nevada. They just had them going past a sign that said, Welcome, welcome to Mesquite. And in truth, they weren't, we weren't filming in Mesquite. <laughs> Mesquite is uh, just to the southwest of St. George, Utah. Uh, I don't know, maybe half hour's drive or maybe an hour. Uh, we were we were to the east of St. George, Utah, but this was still during a time when we were uh, temporarily based in St. George to do three episodes of the Promised Land show. So this was the third of those three episodes that we did. By now, it was March of 1997. So we're working on this episode, Cowboy Blues, and um, to do the episode, they found uh, a kind of a dude ranch, a little you know, a ranch thing, which was on the way, if you were leaving St. George and going up past Hurricane, Utah, and on your way towards uh, Zion Canyon or Zion National Park, um, it was close to Zion National Park is where they found this ranch where we filmed the bulk of this episode. And uh, it, it really was a ranch. Um, and we filmed everything right there. Um, we didn't have any place to go to film in sets, so we were either filming outdoors at the ranch or we were filming interior scenes using some of the real buildings and the real rooms uh, in, in the buildings and the, the house, the main house at this ranch. So... Um, so that was kind of fun, uh, you know, very versatile sometimes when we need to be. We can actually film on location in real houses. I guess the main difference between filming uh, on location in a real house or on a set is that uh, if we're filming in a set, on a set, um, we just had more space, generally speaking. Our sets were usually just the walls... Uh, you know, maybe three walls at a time and no ceiling because we were working in converted warehouses with very tall ceilings. And uh, this was a bit of a challenge um, because with the high ceilings, there was the, the problem with just sound, echo, as you're filming. So there was some sound treatment on the ceiling and a few things to try and dampen that. Um, so, But that is something that you know, that's a bit of a challenge. Now, it, 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 generally around Salt Lake City, there aren't a lot of uh, large sound stages built just for making movies uh, like there would be in Hollywood. So the sound stages around Salt Lake City are usually just, like I said, warehouses that have been just sort of converted over. Uh, the main difference between a warehouse and an actual sound stage is you might have to deal with... Uh, not just sound issues, but also maybe pillars. You know, if it's a warehouse, um, there might be pillars here and there. And uh, you don't really want that on a sound stage because you want to be able to build the sets as large as you want to build them. Some of the sets that we built for the Promised Land show, um, they had to find a way to hide the pillars. For example, um, we had a set that they built for the interior of a character's house, a character named Erasmus, 
who was um, the, the character was played by Ossie Davis. And so we had this very large set for the interior of his house. And, well, it was large enough that some of the pillars of the actual warehouse were right in the middle of the set. So I think they ended up uh, taking one of those pillars and painting it black and making it look like it was the, the pipe from, uh, like, a Ben Franklin stove. <laughs> and, uh, and then they just built, you know, some walls and things to, to hide some of the other pillars. So if you had a real soundstage that was built for movie making, you wouldn't have to deal with the pillars. Um, also, a real soundstage would have a good, quiet ventilation system, heating and air conditioning, uh, so that you could continue filming even if you had to have the air conditioner or the heater, heater on. Um, what we ended up doing in our warehouse is we, we had these very loud uh, heating and air conditioning systems, and so you could turn on the heater or the air conditioner in between filming, right? So if you've got, say, a half an hour that the camera crew needs to set up some complicated shot, well, then you can turn on the heater or the air conditioner for that half an hour, but the moment it's time to film and you're going to be recording dialogue, you to turn off the uh, air conditioner or the heater. So it's kind of a drag, and... Um, I don't have a lot of experience working in real sound stages, but one place in particular we were able to use sometimes on uh, Promised Land and Touched by an Angel and some other shows was uh, a sound stage in Orem, Utah, which was the old home of the the Donnie and Marie show, a variety show, that, you know, back in the late 70s, Donnie and Marie Osmond. Um, yeah, so they were from Utah and they wanted to work in Utah rather than going to California all the time to do their variety show. So they built their own big soundstage in Orem, Utah. And uh, it was a very nice facility. Unfortunately, once the Donnie and Marie show went off the air, the soundstage just didn't get used very much. Um, but when I was able to work there, it was just, it was absolutely lovely. It was a great place to work. Huge room, no pillars. Uh, a good, quiet ventilation system. So, you, so it, it was a very, very nice place. Unfortunately, um, play, uh, shows like Touch, Touch My Angel and, and Promised Land, Everwood, those shows, um, they never opted to use that old Osmond studio as like their home base. Uh, I really don't know the reason. I suppose it's a little bit off the beaten path down in Orem. They'd rather be closer to downtown Salt Lake City. Um, probably also a, a problem with uh, being down there. I don't, I don't know, you know, real estate deals, whatever. It might have cost too much to try and uh, lease the place or, or buy the place. So, unfortunately, um, today, as I'm recording this podcast, uh, that old soundstage is is no longer used as a soundstage. It's, like, been converted into, like, I don't know, celebrity... Uh, rehab center you know when certain celebrities go to rehab they've got a big facility that's built into that old Osmond studio so it's kind of it's, it's sad to me but oh well there will be other sound stages I'm sure and uh, I'll enjoy working there alright well where was I I was talking about working on the Promised Land show <laughs> working on the Cowboy Blues episode so the point of the episode is that the Green family they're out west and 
and trying to decide, you know, where where should we go? What should we you know, go, go see some sites, visit some, you know, historic locations or whatever. And they see an ad in just a little, you know, local paper or something that says uh, there's a dude ranch. And so you can go and you can work on the ranch. And uh, the price looks pretty good. And grandma offers to pay. You know, oh, it's my treat. Let's go. Let's go stay there. And uh, whatever it costs, I'll pay. So, so they show up. And what they find is a, uh, a widowed father and his son. Uh, his son is about, you know, late teens. Uh, living at this place. And um, and it looks as though the son is the one who's trying to make a go of it, uh, accommodating people uh, to run a little dude ranch, and the father is just not interested in in this at all. And um, but whatever, they're they're going to give it a go anyway. And when they uh, when they're sort of checking in and looking at the room where they're going to be staying, they hear somebody yelling and screaming. Or, uh, well, shouting, not really screaming, but just shouting and, and sounding very angry. They're like, what is this? And so, of course, Russell and Claire, being the nosy busybodies that they sort of are in the series, they decide, oh, we'll go check it out. And what they see is they see this uh, this widowed father, and he's out in the corral, and he is just shouting at this horse and kind of terrorizing this this horse. And so, you know, this, this looks bad. But, of course, seeing that there's a problem here is uh, it's kind of attractive to Russell Green. <laughs> so, so they decide, yeah, we're going to stay. We're going to get to the bottom of this. Um, it turns out, as the episode goes forward, that... Um, well, we didn't realize it at the time, but it's almost kind of a takeoff, or you might even say a ripoff, of the Horse Whisperer. In the story, uh, well, in the backstory, it turns out that this man, uh, well, he lost his wife. His wife was riding a horse, and the horse got spooked, and the horse fell off of a little bridge over a, a stream on the property. And when that happened, the horse fell on the woman and the woman was killed and now the horse is traumatized and um, this cowboy, the widowed guy and his son, they have no idea what to do with this horse, they just can't get the horse to do anything and so it's basically three broken hearts here, it's the father, the son and the horse have all lost the most important woman in their lives and um yeah, and so uh, later in the episode, uh, the, the the son is trying to work with the horse. He's trying to get close enough to get the horse settled down so he can put a saddle on the horse, and the horse is having nothing to do with this. And it's running around, and it's, you know, going up on two legs and, 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 and making noise. And, and so Hattie is observing this, and so she stops and starts to give the boy advice on how to take care of a horse and how to talk to a horse how to understand horse psychology and I must admit that as crew members we were watching them film this scene and after we'd read the script and watched watching it come together with this sounds really ridiculous the kind of stuff Hattie is saying and all this stuff about horse psychology and it just sounds kind of 
dopey and you know and, 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 the, and on the other hand how is it that suddenly well, Hattie is an expert on horses this, this came, came out of the blue but she says that she and her husband used to own a horse and they had a horse that uh, had problems too and and oh you know it's, it's a terrible thing and sometimes this, this takes years and years to finally uh, you know figure out what's wrong with the horse and to help it out but you've got to be patient and you've got to be loving and you know she's saying all this stuff um, it was uh, I think just a, a couple months later that same year that the Horse Whisperer movie came out when did that come out 97 or 98 anyway when we finally saw the Horse Whisperer uh, those of us who decided to go to the movies and see it we're like oh wow <laughs> it did seem like uh some of the philosophies that they were spouting off about in the Horse Whisperer movie were similar to the kinds of things Hattie had been saying in our episode. So, of course, I wouldn't put it past the writers of Promised Land to have read the Horse Whisperer and taken just a few too many clues from it. I wouldn't say it's plagiarism, because in the movie business, you know, they don't really believe in plagiarism. No, it's called paying homage. You pay homage to other works of art that have come before. So it would be very easy for someone to claim that, no, 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 it wasn't a rip-off of the Horse Whisperer. It was just paying some sort of tribute to the Horse Whisperer by having a promised land story that happened to be about a horse with difficulties and people that are trying to understand that horse. And everyone's been traumatized, including a horse, when something bad happens to a loved one. All right. There's a subplot in the episode about the fact that this cowboy, uh, well, he's an alcoholic. You know, that's kind of how he deals with his the loss of his wife. He, he goes and yells at the horse all the time and threatens to sell it or threatens to shoot it or, you know, just like he hates the horse. Um, also, and you know, he's an alcoholic. So this is how he deals with his grief <laughs> in the episode. And, of course, the Green family there. You know, they're hoping to help out with that because that's the way they are. They help out people who have trouble. Um, the other thing is he's a poet. So a cowboy poet. It's almost like, you know, again, I hate to rip on the writers too much, but it's, it kind of feels like, yeah, they took every stereotype you could have about cowboys, wrapped them all up into one character. He's, uh, he's a hard drinker. He's, uh, you know, mad at a horse. He's a cowboy poet. <laughs> so, so what happens is that uh, they, it's, it's not just the father and son that live on this ranch. They also have sort of a, you know, a Mexican woman that comes and, uh, you know, helps them out all the time. I don't know if she lives on the ranch or she just comes all, over all the time. And, you know, she's a friend of the family and she knows all this history. And, and uh, so she's there and she's the one that's... Uh, a little bit of a, a, a diplomat when it comes to uh, you know the Green family being a little overbearing on this cowboy. You know she's the one that says, "Oh no, please don't go in that room over there. Nobody goes in that room." He, this cowboy is very uh, you know very particular, very protective of that. You know that sort of thing. But at one point she does inadvertently show Claire some of the poetry that this cowboy wrote, and the cowboy stopped writing poetry when his wife died, of course. Claire gets a glimpse at some of the poetry and she thinks it's just beautiful stuff and so she reads a lot of it, you know, kind of secretly and uh, memorizes some of it 
And when the cowboy finds out that she's been reading his poetry, of course, he's very upset and he's like, you you people, get out of here. You know, he wants to kick them all off the property. I don't know why they don't just leave. Well, probably because they realize that it's really just a cry for help. He doesn't really want us to leave. So. And so uh, it's through Claire's appreciation of this cowboy's poetry that uh, there's a bit of a reconciliation between father and son because, you know, they just haven't gotten along all that well ever since mom died. And uh, so in the end, it all comes together. Claire remembers the poetry. The cowboy finally is calm enough to go ahead and acknowledge that his poetry is kind of beautiful and he has some poetry he's written about his son and when the son hears it you know it's very touching and they uh, decide to reconcile and be friends again and you know maybe that maybe they will be happy after all and maybe they'll even uh, be patient with the horse and they can all i'm probably making it sound a lot worse than it really was um the the guy who played our alcoholic cowboy grieving widow were um, the actor's name, I think, is uh, David Selby. I think that's his name. He's uh, he's actually um, he had worked with uh, Wendy Phillips before on another series, and um, I guess he's sort of well known for uh, impersonations of uh, Abraham Lincoln. And in fact, I believe he played the part of Abraham Lincoln on an episode of Touched by an Angel, which was filmed. Um, I don't know if it was before or after this cowboy episode we did, but it was it was fairly close by. You know, not too long before or after uh, he played Abraham Lincoln in this Touched by an Angel episode. And, you know, the, the other odd thing about that uh, is that um, just this is the year 2009, and when they uh, commemorated Abraham Lincoln's birthday this year... Um, they had a special event at the Ford's Theater in uh, in Washington D.C., and um, President Obama was there. Uh, the MC of the event was Richard Thomas, and uh, Richard Thomas, you'll come to find out, had a significant role on the Promised Land show. He's also well known as uh, John Boy Walton from the Waltons TV series. And he was in, uh, he's been in a lot of other made-for-TV movies and stuff. And uh, we, we all really enjoyed working with Richard Thomas. I just thought it was interesting that there, there was this big event just this year in Washington, D.C., and Richard Thomas was there. And so I looked in the, you know, online, I saw a little article about it, and there was a photograph of Richard Thomas standing next to Mrs. Obama. And so that was, wow. And then also um, at this same event with Richard Thomas in the year 2009, this same actor, David Selby, who was on Promised Land with us, he was dressed up as Abraham Lincoln and did his little Abraham Lincoln impersonation there for the current president of the United States. So, so yeah, we, we got to work with him on the Promised Land show. Um, playing the part of his son was an actor named Nick Stahl. Now... Um, first time I think I ever took note of Nick Stahl, he was in a movie with Mel Gibson called The Man Without a Face. And then, just a few years ago, he was in uh, the movie Terminator 3. And, uh, well, in between those two movies, he was on our show Promised Land. So we got to work with Nick Stahl. 
uh, nice guy. I, I don't have any real specific stories to tell about Nick Stahl, except he seemed like a real pleasant guy, and you know, so it was, it was very pleasant to work with him. Um, uh, let's see. The other, the only other bit of trivia, really, for this episode is that uh, at one point they did show uh, a painting of of the woman who died. The, so the cowboy's wife they had a, a, a portrait of her, uh, this painting. And in real life, when they made this painting, um, you know, they needed someone to pose for the painting. And so they actually used the real-life wife of the unit production manager who worked on that episode. So, so that was kind of neat. I can only assume that when the episode was over, uh, the unit production manager and his wife probably got to keep that painting for themselves. Um, it was a nice, pleasant painting of, of uh, this unit production manager's wife uh, with a horse. And so I don't know if, in, if she was a fan of horses in real life, but it was certainly a very pleasant-looking painting. And so that's kind of nice when, when these things can happen, when somebody like that um, can find a way to do something special for a loved one. Uh, include a loved one in an episode somehow, and in the end, you know, they get to keep a nice, a nice uh, painting. For well, so anyway, uh, yeah. So that's a lot to say, uh, all revolving somewhat around episode one twenty-one of the Promised Land television series. Now, this was the last episode we did in Saint George during our first season of production, and when it was all over. We drove back home to uh, Salt Lake City. They gave us a day, maybe. I think it was just one day uh, for us to all travel home. And then we started working again um, back in northern Utah. And the next episode we made was uh, an episode called Civil Wars. And uh, something happened in this episode that uh, certain crew members had sort of daydreamed about for a long time. Um, I'll I'll get into that later because I want to make a little analogy to, um, you know, when you're you're a kid and you build things like model airplanes and stuff and you play with them or, or just any toys that you have that maybe you enjoy for a while and then after a while it's not that you don't like the toy anymore it's just that you've sort of decided you'd like to play with it a different way and so you like you you know yeah like break it you'd step on it or put firecrackers in it or something i think that that attitude was reflected a little bit in some of our promised land crew members and so i'll tell you more about that (laughs) when i get into the next episode of this podcast and uh yeah we'll talk about the next episode of promised land that we worked on So, uh, once again, the new episodes of the Memoirs of a Movie Stand-In podcast are released on Thursday nights at 8, 7 Central Time. So I hope you'll join us every Thursday night at 8, 7 Central. Uh, You can subscribe in iTunes. In fact, if you just search in iTunes for Memoirs of a Movie Stand-In, it'll come up right in the search box, and there'll be a button right there. You can subscribe right there, and then new episodes will be automatically downloaded into your computer when they come out. So that'll be convenient for you, right? If you have other podcasting software, uh, well, you can you can try to subscribe in those. And, and the best place to start would be to go to the uh, 
the official show notes of the Memoirs of a Movie Stand-In podcast. And you can find those at this particular spot on the internet. It's utahstandin.blogspot.com That's utahstandin.blogspot.com That's where you'll find those official show notes for this podcast. And also, if you'd like to send me any email, comments, questions, or anything encouraging, (laughs) I will gladly accept your emails uh, at this place. It's moviestandin at gmail.com That's moviestandin at gmail.com So, hope you have a great week and we'll see you next time on the Memoirs of a Movie Stand-In Podcast.